Well, good morning and Merry Christmas. Welcome to Faith on Hill's online Sunday morning service. We gather together every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m., both online and in person. Now, online, you can subscribe at at Faith on Hill uh, on our social media. Search Faith on Hill Church on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts, and you can like, subscribe, follow, all that stuff there. In person, we are at our building on Hill Road. We gather together for prayer, worship. We have kids' church on Sunday mornings, youth group Tuesday nights at 7 p.m., small groups that meet throughout the week. The small groups gather together, pray together. There's some in-person ones, there's online ones, and you can email smallgroups at faithonhill.com for more information. But we go over questions that are based out of the Sunday morning Bible study. Today we are starting our Christmas series. We're going to be looking at the Christmas story from the Gospel of Luke. So if you have a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 verse 1 says, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. And Joseph went up from there to the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. And he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. There are three things that I note from these verses about the world that Jesus was born into. Now, let me be clear. Jesus was not created on that first Christmas night. He was incarnated into this world. John's gospel makes it clear that Jesus has always existed. God the Son, equally God as God the Holy Spirit or God the Father, has always existed. In fact, John says in his gospel that Jesus was there, not just at creation, but he is the creator. That the creative force of God saying, let there be light, was Jesus himself. But he came into this world. And he came into a world that had three things going on that we see in these verses. He came into a world of inequality. He came into a world of brokenness. And he came into a world where sinful people think that they are in control. What do I mean by that? First is inequality. Joseph had to go from Nazareth, which is the very northern part of Israel. And if you want, you can pause this Google search map of Israel in Jesus's day. And you'll see Nazareth there by the Galilee, the northern part of Israel. But Joseph and Mary They were descendants of David. They had to go to the city of Bethlehem because that was their ancestral home city. Even though their families had not lived in that area for generations. 
And yet there they were. They had to go and register there because that was where it was expected to be done. The system was rigged and stacked against them. I saw a meme the other day that said, you know, give $50 to a poor person and it'll be gone tomorrow. Give $50 to a rich person and they'll make money with it. And somebody responded to that meme and said, oh, you mean give $50 to a poor person and they'll have to spend it to meet their basic needs. Give $50 to somebody whose basic needs are already met and then they have the ability to use that to invest. And what the the point of that meme and that response was, was that maybe the system isn't set up like you think it is. Maybe there is a system that is full of inequality full of inequity. Jesus was born into that world. And the Bible describes it as such. A world where here's somebody who because of the decree of an emperor in another part of the world, because they are being occupied, because of a system that was set up. Because, you know, you have to think that the system for registering, the the emperor just says, we need to take a census. Now, why do you take a census? It's so you would know how many people are in your empire, so you can know how much you should be receiving in tax revenue, so you can know how many people you could theoretically call up if you had to muster up a conscript army. There's a lot of reasons why an emperor would want to know how many people are there in their empire, if for no other reason than just personal aggrandizement. You know, recently, Uh, India was declared the most populous nation in the world. And the truth is they've probably been the most populous nation in the world for five to ten years because China's been fudging their their statistics. But why do you want to know that? Well, sometimes it's for, you know, legitimate reasons. Sometimes, why has China been fudging their statistics? Because they didn't want to admit that they weren't number one anymore. So there's all of these reasons why an emperor would declare this, but because of the whims and the wills of one person, millions of people's lives were upended, including the vulnerable, like a woman who is deep into her pregnancy, a family that lives in one part of the country that now has to travel treacherous roads just because one emperor said they had to, a world of inequality and inequity. And there are those who kind of cynically say, well, that's just how it's always been. And that is true, right? We're not going to fix these things. Jesus himself said, the poor you will always have with you. And there is a reality that poverty will not be fixed. Inequality will not be solved until Jesus returns. When Jesus returns for his rule and his reign, he will establish a kingdom of justice, a kingdom of peace, a kingdom where these sort of inequities, inequalities, injustices are put away and no longer allowed. In the meantime, we do live in a fallen and broken world. A world where people suffer needlessly because of a system rigged against them. That is true. At the same time, why do we need to allow that to continue? You know, we spoke recently in the book of Colossians about the family, the church, and the government. These are three institutions in which God has sanctioned, ordained, has created for human beings to live and dwell and have culture and community. The family, the church, and the government. They weren't established in that order. It was actually the family, the government, and the church, but 
The point being, the reason I say it that way is because this is where I will have the most impact. I will have the most impact first and foremost in my family. And as a Christian, I will next have the most impact in the church. And then I will have the most impact in the government or the culture or the community or what have you. And it increases from, you know, town to county to state to federal to whatever. I can care about inequity because I see the injustice and the inequity and the inequality that was going on in Jesus's day. And I say, that's not right, but I can't control what happened there and then. But what can I do in my own family where there is inequality? How can I change that? What can I do in my church, in our church, in the church? There is inequality. Even at the very beginning, remember, the church was almost exclusively Jewish believers for the first several years. And even then, there was feelings of inequality. The Greek Culturally, Greek Jews felt that they were being treated unfairly relative to the culturally Hebraic Jews. And then there was questions between Jews and Gentiles in the church. Who's getting more prominence and position? I saw this when I lived in Europe. There are a lot of evangelical churches in Europe that, are, that were started by Americans. And then what happened? Well, the pastor's ready to move on. And we're just going to get another American to come. There was like this thing where only Americans can be the pastor of these European churches, which was certain irony to that because there are plenty of churches in the other parts of the world that were started by Europeans. And they did the same thing to the Asians or Africans or whoever, that only Europeans could become the pastors of those churches. That's not right. It's not how it should be. And these things exist, and we should say, this is not okay. We should say, this is not how it should be. We should care about what's going on in our community. We should care about the fact that hate against our Jewish neighbors, against our Muslim neighbors, is through the roof. That systemic racism has been something that our sisters and our brothers in the black church, our sisters and our brothers in the Asian churches have talked about for a long time. And if we are honest, largely speaking, the white church in America has said, what? Can't hear you. I'm saying that about myself. What? Sorry. That's not real. Can't hear you. And yet they've been saying it and screaming it. And these are our brothers and our sisters. I'm not talking about Black Lives Matter. I'm not talking about some secular movement. I'm talking about Christians who have said that. And I think we could at least pay attention. Now, I recognize that what I just said could be offensive to some, challenging to others, divisive to some people. And I would say, what do I always say? I like dialogue instead of directive. We as a church talk with each other. That's why we have small groups. That's why we have open conversation. That's why people know how to get a hold of me. Because we can have conversation. And maybe I said something that you're like, wait a minute, Adam, what about this? That's what discussion is for. That's what back and forth is for. I, I, I've talked about this before, but I know of a pastor in another part of Oregon who said one offhanded thing about caring about refugees and foreigners, and four families left the church right away because they thought he was going woke. And, and what I would say is they should have had discussion. What did you mean by that? Could it be that they misunderstood? Could it be that they themselves need to re-examine what the scriptures say? Or maybe sometimes pastors misspeak. That happens. I'm not infallible. 
I'm saying we can see clearly because we are looking from the outside in. It's a lot easier to see things from the outside in, and we can see clearly that there was inequality and equity in the system. The idea that to register for a census, you have to travel days or a week's journey over treacherous roads in a time when you should be staying home and preparing for the birth of a child. And somebody might say, well, Adam, the Bible said that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, so obviously this was in God's plan. Or God, knowing the future, said, my, my Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. It's not an endorsement. It's just a, this is what's going to happen. Jesus was born into a world of inequity and inequality. The, the Jewish people were occupied by Romans. They were having to go take the census by the will of a foreign dictator. Someone might say, Adam, are you going to comment about what's happening in Israel today? I would say that's an incredibly complicated situation. We did do a Starting Points podcast on how Israel fits in the Bible and our view of the Bible uh, recently, and you can go on to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or YouTube and find that. I'll say this. There has been centuries and millennia-long inequality and inequity towards the Jewish people. And anyone who is anti the state of Israel, I usually say, like, can you tell me how Israel was founded? Can you tell me what led to the foundation of Israel? And if they can't, then I say, well, let's get back on that when you can. The pogroms, the the out-and-out hunts, these these years and decades and centuries of, of going after them. And at the same time, yes, things that are happening in Gaza and in the West Bank that are not okay. The, the Jewish state, Israel, is not perfect and is not always doing the things that they should. And there are things that they should be called out for, even among their own people. There was a, it didn't make our news. I only heard about it a week after it happened. There was a, in Jerusalem, a Jewish citizen, an Israeli, who stopped a terrorist attack at a bus stop. He had a gun on him and he stopped the terrorist attack. Then, when soldiers came, he realized, hey, they might not realize I'm okay. So he put the weapon down. He pulled his shirt up to show that he didn't have a suicide vest hidden under there. And he was shot dead in the street and left to bleed out by soldiers. None of those soldiers have been arrested in inequity, inequality, injustice. Jesus was also born into a broken world. Think about this. It says that they wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger. That's a feeding stall. That's where you put the animals. Why? Because there was no room at the inn. There was no room at the inn. And why is it that there was no room at the inn? Maybe you've heard this before. Maybe you haven't. But think about this. If Joseph had to go to Nazareth, or sorry, go from Nazareth to Bethlehem, because that was his ancestral home, so did everyone else in his family. And yet the clear indication is that they were alone and isolated. Why is that? Because Mary was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit miraculously conceived within Mary so genetically, I don't know how this works. I don't claim to understand it. Genetically, Jesus was fully human. 
and yet also fully divine. Mary had never been with a man physically, and yet she was pregnant. And Joseph, we are told in the other Gospels, had it in mind to just quietly end the relationship. Because imagine this, you're engaged to this gal, and then you find out that she's pregnant, and you know that you're not the father. But he didn't want to publicly shame her. He didn't want to publicly humiliate her. He was a decent guy. And he said, you know what? I'm just going to quietly end the relationship and we can move on. And then the Lord spoke to Joseph in a dream and said, don't worry. This thing that is happening is from God and you will take the child as your own and you will take Mary and this is going to work out. And Joseph did as God commanded And he was faithful to the commands of God. And now, think about it from the outside looking in. Joseph and Mary are this engaged couple. And then maybe they're married now, but you know what? People can do the math. (laughs) My, My oldest son was born a year and 20 days after Angie and I got married. Now, Nine-month gestation, you can do the math. Uh, we were not, we were pregnant months after getting married. But people did the math. And I had friends, I'm sure you did too. I had friends in middle school and high school who, you know what, they started doing the math and they said, This is when I was born, this is when my parents got married. Wait a minute. You know, my parents got married and they were six months pregnant or three months pregnant or ten months, well, you know, not ten months, but you know what I mean. They they could do the math. From the outside looking in, it looks like Joseph and Mary were intimate before they were married. And in that culture and in that day, that was not okay. And we might say, well, what's the big deal? We can just say, look, this is what God says is his best. And do I think that there is grace and mercy? Absolutely. But from the outside looking in, it looks like these two have sinned and they're family has decided to shun them and ostracize them. Maybe Mary's parents think, oh, Joseph has admitted, as much as admitted that he's the father. That's why he's taken her as his wife, and they won't talk to him. Maybe Joseph's family has said, can you believe that our son would bring such shame to our family, and they have abandoned him. And here they are alone. In fact, we know from Matthew's gospel that they stayed in Nazareth. They didn't go back home to Bethlehem. Or sorry, they stayed in Bethlehem. They didn't go home to Nazareth. They, they stayed for several years down in the Judean region in Bethlehem. Why? Because they weren't welcome back at home. And you say, oh, that's terrible. And yet that still happens. You know, I've known of people who, who have been ostracized from their family for different reasons. That brokenness, that broken relationship is the world Jesus was born into. I know um, my mom's roommate in, when she was in college, you know, uh, was from Japan. And she married an American, strike one. She married a Christian, strike two and three. And the family didn't see them for years. They were, she was cut off from her family. And finally, the second of three grandkids was born and things softened and, oh, we're going to send a present. Oh, maybe you should come and visit. You know, grandkids have a way of doing that. 
But that kind of brokenness still exists. That kind of broken relationship, broken family. We don't talk to this person. We won't see that person. That's the world Jesus was, broken, was born into. He came into a world where brokenness wasn't something he knew about from the outside, but for his growing up. Even in his public ministry, there were accusations. Jesus is just the illegitimate son of the carpenter. Jesus' parents fooled around, people said. Jesus' mom, you know, she was this and that. He heard that. It was in his public ministry. I guarantee he heard that as a child, as a teenager. He grew up distant from his family for a time because of this. That's the world he grew up in. He grew up, he was born into a world of inequality and injustice. He was born into a world of broken relationships. And he was born into a world where people think they were in charge. Because this Caesar Augustus decrees something and millions of people have to turn their lives around for it. Sinful people are still in charge. Sinful people make decisions at the county level, at the city level, at the state level, at the federal level, at the world level. People decide, I want this, therefore people must suffer. Henry Kissinger just died. And there's a large segment of our country that think he's a war criminal because of how many people died because of decisions he made. Others say you can't just blame him, that's too easy, there were other people involved. I'm not going to get into the specifics of it, but the point is, is that powerful people, sinful people make decisions that cause pain, harm, suffering, even death. People all over the world. Somebody makes a decision, we're not going to fund that. It cuts funding for a program and people suffer. Somebody makes a decision, we're not going to keep this going and it causes injustice. This is the world Jesus was born into. But think about this. You go back to chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, that's the pregnancy of John the Baptist, God sent an angel, Gabriel, to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and the kingdom, his kingdom will never end. This is the Christmas message. It's that God is putting his finger on the scales. Caesar Augustus thinks, oh, I'm making this thing happen. I'm in charge. But really, God was showing himself in charge. He was entering the arena. He was stepping in and saying, I'm putting an end to sin and death. Maybe the family thought, we'll show Joseph and Mary. And yet, as they are shunning and ostracizing them, their Savior was coming through Mary. There was injustice and inequity, and yet here comes the one who will put things right. He will reign forever. His kingdom will never end. He will be the one who is called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. He will bring an end to injustice. All of the things that Jesus was born into, the pain, the suffering, the misery, ended or will end because of him, in him, through him. The message of hope, the message of reconciliation that comes at Christmas time 
happens because Jesus came into this mess and this broken world. He came into this suffering. He experienced it himself. He didn't just see it. He didn't just observe it. He lived in it. And we can all think of people around us, situations around us that are full of injustice, full of inequity, systems that seem stacked against people, broken homes, broken families, broken relationships, powerful, sinful people who seem to have no justice or responsibility for what they do. And yet Christmas is about God saying, no more putting his thumb on the scale, saying, you think you're in charge, Caesar? This is my plan. Oh, there's brokenness over here. I'm bringing healing. There's injustice here. Jesus comes to bring justice and to set things right. The great hope is what Jesus has done. And I want to close with the words of his mother, Mary. You know, Protestants, that's us, we have a hard time with Mary because the Catholics and the Orthodox and some of the other traditions of Christianity have vastly overemphasized her importance. But let's be honest, there are times in which Protestants underemphasize her. But she said this, my soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. He has been mindful of the humble state of his servants. And from now on, Generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things in me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm, and he has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembered, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors." These are the words that Mary wrote down. This was her song that she was feeling. And what does she speak of? She speaks of God bringing down sinful rulers. She speaks of God being merciful in the brokenness of this world. She speaks of God saving and doing mighty things. This Christmas, remember this. Yes, there is injustice, inequity, systems of oppression all around. And yet God is breaking through those. Remember that there is brokenness, broken homes, broken relationships, broken hearts, broken minds, broken souls. And God is healing and restoring. And remember, yes, there are sinful people in powerful positions who think that they are in charge. And yet it is Jesus who is on the throne. It is Jesus who is coming again. It is Jesus who will rule and reign and set things right. And it is that that we hope in, that we rejoice in, that we proclaim this Christmas and every day that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, Jesus Christ is victorious over sin and death, and Jesus is coming again to rule and reign and set things right and to fulfill what began at Christmas. God bless you. We'll see you next week as we continue to look at the Christmas story. Join us as we gather together uh, the Thursday night before Christmas. We will have our Christmas carol and communion service. Christmas Eve is on a Sunday. We'll have our Christmas Sunday service there. Uh, Shortest sermon of the year, the whole thing. And then New Year's Eve is on a Sunday and we'll have breakfast together as a church. We'll see you next Sunday as we gather together and continue the Christmas story from the Gospel of Luke. Luke.